You're listening to a podcast from the Royal Irish Academy. In this episode, Enhancing Social Cohesion Among Communities in Rural Ireland, the second of three events in the Rural Conversations series. This roundtable feedback event, hosted in Dundalk Institute of Technology on the 28th of February 2019, elicited stakeholders' contributions on enhancing social cohesion among communities in rural Ireland. The event was introduced by Pauline McNamara, Programme Manager for Humanities and Social Sciences at the Royal Irish Academy. Good morning, everybody. This event is from the Social Sciences Committee, and it is the second in a series of three. And I'd just like to introduce you first to Dr. Michael Mulvey, President of Dundalk Institute of Technology, or hosting this event here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. You're all uh, most uh, welcome, and I say that on behalf of all of my colleagues here in, in DKIT. And we were very pleased to be contacted by Professor Anya Highland to host uh, this event. And I should say that we're always welcome to, always delighted to welcome uh, Anya here because of her reputation in the world of uh, education. Indeed, I think every college and school in the country has benefited from uh, her work and achievements in multi-denominal education, curriculum and examinations, the point system, social inclusion, teaching and learning, and that's just to mention uh, but a few. And for anybody to be born in County Meath and to become Vice President of, a, of a UCC, I think is a great, a, gr- a, great, a great achievement. I want to acknowledge also uh, Sadie Ward McDermott, Director of Further Education and Training in Louth and Meath, ETB, who's a member of DKIT Governing Body, Dr. Patricia Moriarty, uh, Head of School of uh, Business and Humanities. And I also acknowledge uh, Professor Colette Henry, uh, Head of uh, Department of DKIT Business Studies, who will facilitate the roundtable feedback uh, discussion, and William Parnell, Assistant um, Secretary-General of the Department of Rural and Community Affairs. Just to say that the topic of social cohesion, which is today's topic, uh, is very relevant, actually, to a college uh, like DKIT. Whilst we draw our students from North Dublin, the bulk of our students are from Louth, Meath, Cavan, Monaghan, and increasingly, counties uh, Armagh and Down. So it's a region, I suppose, is at the the midpoint of the Belfast-Dublin corridor. It's a region with an integrity of its own, and we endeavour to, to act and lead and serve this region uh, in an integrated way, whilst at the same time respecting that it spans uh, two jurisdictions. We do know, and everybody else in, in, in the room knows, everybody in the room knows, that around the world, that where a person goes to college is, is where they're most likely to stay, to settle down, uh, find a job, start an enterprise. We know that 89% of our graduates stay and work in this region after graduation. So going to your local college matters very much. It enables the 18 to 24-year-old cohort to continue to live in their local area, participate in their parish sports clubs, and all the plethora of activities that keep life and energy in our towns, villages, and rural communities. It makes transport links, shops, post offices, and other services uh, much more viable. However, I think everybody in this room knows that only too well. I think the challenge for us as a college uh, is to communicate that narrative of the importance of going to college locally to, to the young generation, a generation that we know has a strong sense of social justice, a generation despite their, and I say, their allegedly short attention span, that are certainly uh, very environmentally conscious uh, uh, of the consequences of their actions and whose motivations are not necessarily exclusively framed by their own personal interest, but often by wider considerations. So likewise, a local college like ourselves, we've got a huge um, onus and responsibility to impact and upskilling mature workers and ensuring that the region is attractive to growth uh, for indigenous enterprise, as well as attracting foreign direct investment. And this in turn contributes to sustainability of communities. So certainly 
I look forward to studying the outputs of the deliberations today to gain insight into how we can better communicate that narrative and in general to continue to serve all communities in this really diverse and very dynamic region. So I want to congratulate the Royal Irish Academy and the Department of Rural and Community Development Project to thank everybody for coming here to, and making your way here to participate. And on that note, I would have great pleasure in handing over to Professor Ronyon. Thank you very much indeed, President. It's a great pleasure and an honour for me to be here today on behalf of the Royal Irish Academy to welcome all of you and to thank uh, the DKIT for its welcoming approach to this uh, venture. I can see we have a great turnout and it's great to see so many people from all over the area and the topic which, as uh, Dr Mulvey has said, a very important topic, enhancing social cohesion among communities in rural Ireland. It's great to have the opportunity for the Royal Irish Academy to come out out from Dublin and as I say as a Mead person myself who was brought up in my childhood in Drogheda not very far from here where my father was a principal of a school a very long time ago uh, it, it's great to be back here again and to see how much is happening and continuing to happen in this uh, northeastern corridor and the importance obviously of this part of the world in the new context, which we hope will be a positive context after Brexit. So just again to thank all of you for coming and to thank uh, DKIT and particularly the President and uh, um, Professor Colette Henry, who will be facilitating the proceedings here today and all the staff here. And as well, I would also like to add my thanks to my colleagues in the Royal Irish Academy, particularly Pauline, Pauline McNamara, who's the programme manager and who's done all the field work and ensuring that this has happened today. And Felicity Kelleher, who's thinking uh, from WIT, who's with us as well, and who really was the, the brains behind this whole uh, rural conversations. And again, and thank you as well to William Parnell, the Assistant Secretary General of the Department of Rural and Community Development. So we look forward to having a very... Uh, very active day, a very interesting day, and to hearing all your views. So thank you very much indeed. The next speaker was William Parnell, Assistant Secretary General, Rural Development and Regional Affairs Division at the Department of Rural and Community Development. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks indeed to, to Michael as well for hosting us here uh, in DKIT. And I just want to, to add to Anya's comments um, and, and her uh, words of, of kind of acknowledgement of Pauline's work and, and Felicity's work in bringing together what is a series of events um, under the label of Rural Conversations. Um, as Pauline said, this is the second in the series of, of these events. Um, and the first event was held last November and we focused on rural economies on that particular day in Galway. So as you know, today's event is focusing on social cohesion in rural communities. And the third event, which will take place in April, will focus on building sustainable rural communities. And of course, all three of these uh, subjects are intertwined. Strong rural economies will support social cohesion and will, will, will help to build community resilience if, if we use our planning and our policies uh, wisely. 
these are very much forward-looking events. And that's why, that's why it's, it's really very important that we have in the room today um, practitioners and people who understand this whole space of social cohesion. Um, and we really look forward to the contribution that you can make uh, to us today. You know, the, the RIA approached the department last summer uh, and, and told us they were thinking about these events. And we were immediately keen to be associated with them. First of all, because of the, the research reputation and the quality of the RIA's work, but also because there was a timeliness ar around these events for us as a department. So over the last number of years, um, there has been a lot of progress has taken place in relation to rural development. And sometimes, you know, you, you wouldn't realise it because sometimes the media only focus on uh, some negative stories that sometimes come out about uh, rural Ireland and rural development. But there has been progress. There has been a lot of investment. Um, in 2014, uh, a report was published by the Commission for the Economic Development of Rural Areas, which made a number of recommendations to government as to what needed to be done to help support rural areas. And then um, in 2017, the government published an action plan for rural development that made very specific commitments on what it was going to do and investments it was going to make in rural Ireland. And they're coming through to fruition through various different programs. Um, some of them are supporting economic development, some of them are supporting social development. And the action plan for rural development was intended to cover both the economic and social development of rural Ireland and rural communities. As a department, the Department of Rural and Community Development was, was established in its, its current form in July 2017 to promote rural and community development and to support vibrant, inclusive and sustainable communities. So they're, I think, very important words in terms of what we're discussing today, you know, inclusive and sustainable communities. And we support social cohesion through a range of programmes such as SICAP, LEADER, the Community Services Programme and the Senior Alert Scheme, um, which has provided uh, those alert fobs to, to many thousands now of, of people um, who are living very often alone and very often in, in remote areas, but as well as urban areas. So um, the, the action plan, which I mentioned, was launched in January 2017 as a three-year plan and it's a whole of government department. So the actions that are in there span a whole range of government departments and agencies in an effort to support uh, rural development. But that plan runs to the end of, of 2019. So we are at a point now where we need to reflect on the impact the plan has had, but more importantly, in a sense, to consider what the next phase of rural development policy um, should look like and what issues it should address. And there's, there's no doubt but that we're on the cusp of very, very significant change in society uh, and indeed in, in our economic development. So, you know, just last week there was a report from UCC about potential impacts in the workplace of uh, new technologies, artificial intelligence and robotics. Um, and soon the government will be, will be publishing a new initiative which will respond to those changes in the workplace. The climate change agenda is, is coming very, very high now on, on the uh, national priorities 
And that will require us all to adapt our lifestyles, uh, you know, to, to address um, the mitigation of climate change. Brexit, you know, we, we don't know exactly what Brexit is going to look like, but we know it's going to bring about a change uh, to our society, to, to our businesses and how they work. And we've also become a very diverse society uh, over the last number of years with new communities, new citizens who have a contribution to make um, to Ireland and to our future. So, as I said, we don't know yet what the impact of all these changes will be. But one thing is certain, and that is that there will be change. And that changing landscape will also bring new opportunities. But we need to ensure that all parts of the country uh, and all people in our society benefit from those opportunities as they arise. And we also need to ensure that those opportunities, while they will have an impact economically, we need to ensure that they also support, or we also support social cohesion um, and, and bring all of our people along uh, as these changes take effect. Um, in particular, we need to ensure that significant technological and societal changes that we're heading into um, don't leave any cohorts marginalised, whether they're young or old, Irish-born, or part of our, our, our new communities. So today, we want to consider uh, what are the factors which will impact on social communities or social cohesion in rural communities in particular, and which cohorts are most um, at risk of social exclusion. And perhaps the most important thing we want to get from today, from your inputs, is to identify what actions we need to take as we develop the next phase of our rural policy to enhance social cohesion in rural communities and make sure that nobody is left behind. And Professor Colette Henry will guide us through those questions now shortly in more detail. As I said, we have in the room today a tremendous font of knowledge and expertise and practitioners in the space of social cohesion. So really, it's a great opportunity for us to have a focused discussion on the, the various issues and to capture those ideas on how we can support improved social cohesion in rural Ireland. The inputs that we get today will feed in to the department's uh, development of policy. We will have further uh, consultation events in the course of the year. But these for us are coming at an early stage and they're really important because we can take the ideas that we hear today and at the other rural conversation events and help to build on them in our subsequent uh, consultations. So I'm really looking forward to hearing the ideas that will emerge from our conversation today. Um, and without further ado, I'll hand over to Colette, um, who will be our, our guide uh, for the rest of the day. So th thank you very much. The roundtable discussion at the event was facilitated by Professor Colette Henry, Head of the Department of Business Studies at Dundalk Institute of Technology. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's my pleasure to be hosting this event today and to try and keep us on track with the discussions. And of course, the ultimate objective is to try to finish for 1.30 for lunch. So let's keep that objective in sight as we go through. I want to begin by thanking all of you for giving up your time to come along this morning because we're really going to be picking your brains and you know delving into your experiences and expertise uh, to contribute to this discussion. 
So all I'm going to do is set the scene. It's a bit like an exam, not going to give you all the answers to the questions, but just to give you some guidelines. And again, it's to get you thinking, because as William has already said, there's a, a font of expertise here, and we really want to tap into this. So maybe I'll begin with that question, which everyone wanted to ask and was nearly afraid to do so. What exactly is social cohesion? Now, there are a couple of definitions. I'm just going to go back to this slide. When we start to think about social cohesion, a number of words come to mind. We think of things like groups. We don't think of individuals. Okay, that's the first thing that comes to mind. We think about shared values. These groups will know each other. We assume that they're all working toward the same objective. We start to think in terms of, of a collective, perhaps a community. Again, not individuals, but a, a group. And we assume they have a common goal and are dealing with common challenges. When we start to think about that, we also think that perhaps these groups have an identity. Perhaps it's one that they have developed or maybe one we just subconsciously assign to them. That would be a shared identity. Again, this notion of everyone working together for a common goal. We assume because of that that there's lots of trust, that they've, these people have got networks, common networks, that they're able to, to work amongst. And sometimes there's a myth that just because people know each other, they are supportive of each other, and there is automatically a high level of social cohesion. And, you know, that's not always the case. So we need to be mindful of that. But we do think in terms of equality. And we do think of bonds that, you know, bond the people together. And I suppose we could think of social cohesion as the invisible bonds that bring a group or community together. But for the purposes of today's discussion, we're going to use this definition. Now, I think you may have already been sent this by the Royal Irish Academy. So we're looking at social cohesion as the bonds that link rural dwellers together. And remember, we're contextualizing our discussion today in the rural area. So linking rural dwellers together to one another, to the community as a whole. Who does that include? It includes everyone, regardless of their gender, religion, sexual orientation, education, level of wealth, it's everyone's included. <laughs> a highly cohesive community exhibits equitable member inclusion and community collaboration in pursuit of collective social and economic prosperity. Now, I hope you're all going to remember that. <laughs> that is quite an extensive um, definition, but it, it very much builds on the OECD definition which supports this view, but promotes this notion of equality, fighting exclusion, fighting marginalization, the notion of belonging and giving everyone an opportunity. So now that we've made a start at defining it, why is it important in rural areas? Well, we all know that rural areas are, I suppose, deemed to be remote. Therefore, they're not as, as connected as the rest of the regions. They are, in fact, um, home to a quarter of the population in terms of OECD countries. And when you think of it, rural regions will also contain the vast majority of land and water and other natural resources. So it really is important that we're able to tap into those. 
Again, drawing on OECD data, 20% of the OECD population are categorised in living in rural regions that are close to cities. And then a further 6% of OECD countries are categorised as living in regions that would be remote. And by that, I mean it's probably about an hour's drive away from a city. So when you think of Ireland, for example, rural areas account for about 57% of the population. Now, when you think of the EU average, it's around 27%. Depends how you calculate the figures. There's some variation between reports. But that should give you an idea. Ireland is quite rural by comparison. And social cohesion is important in rural areas because we know that economic downturns will have a greater impact there. There will also be greater impacts on unemployment, on immigration, fewer employment opportunities, for example. And of course, we all understand the, the internet problem in rural areas, a low level of connectivity. Now, I just wanted to show you this graph. It's a very busy picture, but it illustrates what we call Europe's urban-rural divide. Now, as I say, it is quite busy, but if you look at that, the sort of um, green areas, look a bit blue on this map here, are what are categorised as rural, and the rest is urban. And if you look at Ireland over to the left there, you'll actually see that according to this Eurostat data, Ireland is categorised as almost exclusively rural. Apart from, I see they've got Northern Ireland categorised as quite urban, which is interesting. And in the Republic of Ireland, it's all green except for a tiny little bit of red around the capital. But the thing that this map does, it highlights two important points that are noteworthy for today's discussion. And the first one is that we are considered to be predominantly rural when compared to the rest of the OECD and European countries. And also that rural areas in Ireland will actually account for almost 60% of our GVA, our gross value added, and that's compared to just 40% in urban areas. Now, it is disproportionate given that we're mostly rural, but it does highlight that it is important for us to encourage social cohesion to maximise outputs from rural areas. So again, just a few points to get you thinking about the discussion. If we think about social inclusion, social cohesion in rural areas, what are we thinking about? Well, if we start to consider the influencing factors, which is one of the questions, lots of factors influencing social cohesion in the rural spaces, infrastructure, as we mentioned, that would be roads, uh, internet, just getting to places, staying connected with remote regions. Access to health services, to education, employment opportunities, these things are not as great in rural areas as they are in urban areas. And this notion of policy and initiatives and investment always privileging the capital, or at least that's how it feels sometimes. So it's a matter of getting the balance. Not everything can go into the capital cities. We've got to remember to include the rural areas. And all of this can sometimes lead to a feeling of isolation, this fear of being disconnected and excluded continuously. Now, I did think we could have a day without talking about Brexit, but unfortunately not. Brexit, if it goes ahead in whatever shape or form, will have a devastating impact on rural areas. 
And when you think of the specific groups that will be impacted, not just by Brexit, but a general lack of social uh, cohesion in general, we think of farmers, for example. We think of agribusinesses. We know that the farming community relies heavily on the, the cap subsidies. If they disappear or change, what does that do? We also know that farmers, regardless of Brexit, also face this consistent challenge of succession planning. And this notion that farms would, would typically be handed over to the eldest son and the eldest sons aren't as interested anymore. And perhaps when you're working through your questions, you might just think, is there an opportunity there for women? Because there are a lot of women who work in agriculture, supporting farm businesses. They may or may not be interested in taking over farm businesses, but they certainly have the potential to look at different opportunities on and off farm diversification, for example. So a lot of entrepreneurial business development potential that's still there. We think about farm animal veterinary businesses, for example, and I, I mentioned this because I, I spent some time with the Royal Veterinary College in London, and everywhere you go, the large animal practices, whilst they're absolutely critical to rural regions, have a difficulty surviving. It's difficult to make them cost effective. It is difficult to recruit veterinary graduates to work there because of the remoteness. So that's just a couple of things to be thinking about, the influencing factors and the particular groups that are impacted. Now, that's probably all the information I'm going to give you because it's really your ideas I want to, to get today. It would be remiss of me not to say that education, as we all know, will play a huge role in social cohesion. And DKIT is no exception to that. We have several initiatives that reach out to the rural community and also encourage the rural community to come into us. Now, lots of these are, are already on our website, but just to mention a few, we have a fantastic Pathways and Head Start program with the Live Leader Partnership. And what that does, it reaches out to mostly adults, mostly mature learners, in rural areas, people who perhaps would be the first person in their family to consider education. And we encourage them to come in and think about third level education. And that's working really, really well. We have programs that we deliver out in the regions. And I know that most higher education institutions will do this. We have a research group um, that actually looks at policy on entrepreneurship, focusing on women entrepreneurs and looking specifically at the regions and whether policy is equitable when you compare urban and rural regions around the world. And we're doing a report with the OECD on that, covering 28 countries. And of course, we've got various veterinary nursing programmes, agri-food programmes, and interestingly, interestingly, things like music workshops where we go out to the region, uh, get involved in orchestras with the local community and encourage them in. So there are lots of different things happening. The first question for attendees was, what are the key positive and negative factors impacting social cohesion in rural communities? So could we start with table one, please, and your feedback on question one? Okay, so uh, just in relation to the, uh, to the first question, we obviously, we distinguish between positive uh, I suppose, a negative aspects. Um, and just in terms of the positives, first of all, uh, I think there's a very strong recognition, clearly, 
of a very strong, I suppose, sense of community uh, in rural Ireland. Um, and we looked at things like the importance of clubs, uh, obviously of, uh, of churches, uh, of existing networks, uh, and also the, the kind of cultural heritage aspects uh, uh, that is very prevalent, obviously, in, in rural Ireland. Uh, what supports all of that as well? Well, volunteering is again a very strong uh, sense that that's, a, that's an important component. Uh, the importance of grants as well, and leader uh, grants indeed, and all of that uh, which has been funded uh, under that particular resource, again, was identified as being very, very important. And also the use and existence of, of different facilities, knowing that there is clearly a challenge there, but there are facilities that people can access, and we know that they are as well. In terms of positives as well, there's a great sense, I think, as well, of people you know, wanting and seeing uh, the value of local entrepreneurship. Uh, that needs to be supported, of course, and encouraged. Um, but but, but that's, that, that's there already and can be built on. Uh, and also in terms of uh, the need to support people to diversify in terms of what they're doing cur currently. Um, there was identified as well a willingness to care for the environment. And I think obviously in the current context, uh, that's very, very significant. Uh, and also in terms of uh, the existing, I suppose, infrastructure and some of the improvements there. Uh, and if this is good and bad, I think people recognize that a lot of the work that has been done in the, over the last 10 years in terms of the new motorway networks and so on, that that has been generally, I think, a positive thing in terms of helping people to get about. But also people have a very strong awareness that once you go off the motorway network, well, you're talking about a different type and standard, I suppose, uh, of system. So there's an awful lot of work to be done there yet. Uh, but there was also recognition too that there's been quite a lot of investment in school buildings and so on, notwithstanding obviously some of the more recent issues in terms of uh, some of the, the construction issues that you might be aware of, and I think in this region particularly, certainly up in Kells that I would be familiar with. Some of the negatives, um, obviously things like um, the impact of low farming uh, incomes, um, the need for, in so many cases now, uh, people to look at off-farm employment opportunities, and that's becoming a necessity. Uh, and also the, the very fact that uh, in, in many cases now we're beginning to see abandoned land uh, and that's seen as being a very negative issue clearly in terms of that lack of ability uh, of, of farmers to actually to, to sustain uh, uh, the, the, the current enterprise. Uh, obviously a recognition as well of the importance of, of the REPS funding uh, and all of the different uh, activity that that would have funded uh, and also some issues there in relation to how those funds have been uh, diverted or used in, in, in different ways. Uh, clearly aspects uh, relating to uh, access to employment, the distance to work, and that links back to the, uh, to the transport. Um, and also in terms of barriers to participation, uh, some people are, are, are time poor, um, uh, but have access to financial resources. And obviously there are people who have access to very little financial resources. Uh, they're not time poor, but actually participating does come at a cost. And that's been identified as an issue as well. And also, I think, too, in relation to the need to ensure that measures uh, for rural areas are sustainable and they're not subject to what we often see as that kind of counter-cyclical uh, approach where things are funded in the good times and then in the bad times, unfortunately, some of, a lot of that funding is actually taken away. So I think, Theorem, that's about it in terms of the contribution from Table 1 for the first question. Thank you. That was perfect. Thank you. Spot on. So if we move to table two. Thank you. And I, I'll, I'll try to, um, to, to not cover the same ground. Um, but pardon me if, we, if I do a bit, because obviously uh, there, were, there was some, um, some dual coverage there. Um, the key message I think we were coming to at the end of our discussion 
uh, of the first issue is that the, the, the advantages and disadvantages often are mirror images of each other. They, are, they go together as, as, as part of, of, of one continuum. And with the advantages clustering, clustering around the reality that there's really strong institutions often in rural areas, stronger than in urban areas, that have been there for a long time, that involve an awful lot of people that are highly functional. Things like um, on, the, on, on the sports side, the GAA, on the cultural side, Kultuskuratori, uh, groups like Makra, the reality of things like very active um, church parishes that are really important to very large segments of the population and that are really, re real strengths for those. But that brings you directly onto, on, onto the downside of those as well, that they are often for large sections of the population, but they are also very often actually exclusionary in their own right. They are not for everyone, and they are not um, of their nature uh, uh, tools to bring cohesion to everyone. And we need to recognize that. It's, they're really valuable, they're really strong, they're, they're, they're great things to build upon, but they don't suit the entire community, and, and, and they're, they're not necessarily vehicles for, for full cohesion. Um, one of the issues that I think was, was, was most interesting that we talked about uh, was the overlap between this bit of which groups suffer from exclusion and lack of cohesion, and what these positive and negatives are. And where that came to be particularly interesting, I think, around our table, was the discussion of the number of people who suffer from lack of, of cohesion in, in rural areas. And normally we think of it around things like migrants and, and the LGBT community, which in this table it really did stand out that people felt you know, there were strong, significant barriers that don't exist in urban areas to members of those kinds of communities um, getting supports around cohesion uh, in, in rural areas. But what was particularly interesting where people are saying, look, it's much wider than that. It's, you know, if you're a single woman in a, in a, in a rural community, a lot of these institutions are simply not for you. You, know, you. you don't feel welcome to walk into these rooms. You don't feel that, you're, that you are part of this. Um, and you can be there at home completely excluded. And that to a degree, there is a growing problem in that some of the kinds of traditional groups that were there, that were very active maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago, are losing relevance to, 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 to the younger population and not necessarily been replaced by new groups. Or at least we couldn't automatically see. We could, we could see groups that were filling some of the market there, but not all of it. And therefore, the, um, the, the pattern of, of cohesion might continue to be, to be undermined unless mm -hmm. we give active support from a state and a local level to, 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 to rebuilding that infrastructure. Okay, okay. Super job. Thank you very much. And if we could move to table three. Uh, thank you very much. So I'm Alan Barrett from the ESRI. I'll do my best to summarize what we were discussing here and not uh, inter or overlapping with what others had talked about. So we'll talk about the, the, the positives um, first. And I think it's sort of been touched on by, uh, by, by other groups that sometimes things can be positives and, and negatives. Uh, so one of the issues that came up again was the sort of the theme of, of volunteering and that sort of notion that there is a really sort of vibrant uh, sense of volunteering within uh, rural communities. And it's not just that that exists, but again, without sort of preempting later discussions, there's a sort of an, an, an existing base or infrastructure which can be really exploited in terms of the policy actions that you might mm -hmm. be thinking about later. So the notion of sort of, a, you know, that, that volunteering spirit being there and the potential to, uh, to exploit it. Um, environmentalism came up as well, just in that sort of sense that rural sort of communities having a strong sense of the, the, the environmental value of, of where they are and that being a, a unifying theme. 
Uh, at our table, there was a number of people from sort of the, the border region. Uh, so the peace process actually came up as a sort of a, an ongoing um, issue or a sort of a, a binding focus that you have sort of a, a lot of community level activity uh, that is related to, uh, to the peace process. And a couple of demographic things. Uh, my, migration into uh, rural areas, and uh, again, we looked at this from a number of perspectives. One is the sort of the actual, you know, migrants, uh, non-Irish people sort of coming in and having a really sort of positive role to play. Uh, mm -hmm. But also, of course, there's the migration of Irish people, urban dwellers into rural areas as well, uh, which, uh, while there's a lot of talk of sort of depopulation, there is a certain amount of movement in the other direction. Uh, I think our group perceived that as a potentially positive development, uh, but of course there are difficulties around it too, that there are difficulties for people uh, to integrate. Uh, a couple of other things that I would never have thought of in a million years. Um, aging uh, was put down as a positive in the sense of the sort of the increasing reservoir of older, wiser people, possibly with a bit more time on their hands. But then there was this sense that that particular reservoir of people are not being drawn on. They're being isolated rather than sort of involved and drawn upon. So there's a, a wealth of possibility there. I thought that was an interesting one. And I'd never thought of that, but I absolutely would not have thought of the next one. Uh, death came up as a positive. Uh, and to, to, to explain that one, um, it's really around the traditions of the wake. I mean, if ever there is an indicator of a strong, specifically Irish, rural community event, uh, it's the way, and it's just the notion that we shouldn't sort of have more wakes necessarily, but we should, we should at least draw on, on that uh, bigger, more fun ones that go on for, that go on for days uh, on end. Okay, let me talk about a couple of, of negatives, and I think I may have touched on them uh, already in the sense that aging, you know, can be a challenge. Migration can be a challenge. And even when it came to the sort of volunteering, there was also a point made that the problem is that it's often the very same people who are volunteering all the time, and so the demands on this limited group of people. But to add a couple of things in again that, that haven't been mentioned so far, um, we talk about rural areas, uh, but of course commuting patterns are such now that a lot of uh, people live in rural areas but work in urban areas, whereby there's a sort of a hollowing out during the day of local uh, of, of rural areas. So to the extent that this you know manifested itself then uh, in a sort of bygone era, there would have been an awful lot more help, uh, sort of, sort of you know agricultural workers, whatever like that, working on a more casual basis or helping with. Uh, saving hay or whatever it might be, that that group of people are simply not there anymore. They're all off doing different things at different times. Uh, automation came up as an interesting issue in the sense that automation is obviously something that affects uh, you know everybody across the world. But in a rural area, the sense that there's an, an increasing lack of interaction because you don't go into the bank anymore, you don't go into the post office, and even like the library, uh, it seems, will be soon moving in the direction that there'll be nobody there either. Mm -hmm. So that lack of human interaction, you know, obviously it happens in all sorts of settings, but in a rural setting, it has a particularly uh, acute impact. So I think I'll leave it there. Okay, thank you very much. So we've taken feedback from three tables here. Just, can I just ask the rest of the tables, if you've anything to add that hasn't already been covered, just very briefly, if you want to put your hand up and we'll take that. Over here. Uh, impact of negative national media coverage when bad things happen in rural communities um, and a lack of coverage of more positive developments. I mean, obviously that's the nature of media that they kind of, they follow the more dramatic uh, stories that are often negative. Um, but that can lead to a sense of sort of a, a, like an erosion of a sort of the community self-esteem that they so that communities can feel that they're kind of, you know, they, they're only in the news for bad things and not for good things. And 
and also in terms of encouraging maybe perhaps new joiners or people to kind of engage more in rural communities, that kind of negative press perception um, isn't, isn't helping. Thank you. Anyone else? A point that maybe hasn't been covered already? So there were a couple of other things that came up in our discussion that haven't been covered. We talked about the positivity of uh, local media, particularly we were talking about local radio, TIP FM and so on, how fantastic it is and how important it is in keeping older people in rural areas connected into what's going on. Of course, that's going back to the life and death thing, but more than that as well, the local activities. Uh, we talked about the big events that sometimes happen. So we talked about local events, and one of the examples here in the northeast was the Flag Hill, which was in Drogheda last year. is going to be there again this year. Um, 800,000 people visited Drogheda in a week, and that brought in a load of volunteers, people from all walks of life who got a, a bit of training and were involved, so that was fantastic. And finally, the last positive that I don't think has been mentioned is the notion just that the farming community and themselves are a fantastic positive. People in our table who've worked with them and who continue to work with them say that, you know, if they say they're going to be there, they'll be there. Um, and they take up the opportunities of what's offered with great relish and you know, a fantastic um, boon to the community. And maybe one disconnect, that one negative that hasn't been covered is the disconnect that's there between, for example, where I live in Eastmead, the number of natives, which is a very small number, and the number of blow-ins, <coughs> non-natives uh, like myself, who, who are there maybe 20 plus years, but they're still blow-ins. And, and just that disconnect between them, that lack of you know, the loss of the value of the blow-ins to the local community and the loss of the uh, ability to, to get everybody involved in community projects. Okay, thanks. Okay, thank you for that. So just mindful of time, so we're going to go straight to the next question, if that's okay. So question two, could we start then with table four, please? The second question for attendees was, which cohorts within rural communities are most affected by a lack of cohesion among and between community segments? For example, youth elderly, new citizens, etc. And how are they impacted? Okay, so we recognised um, six different groups um, within the communities that are affected by a lack of cohesion. So first up, we have uh, youth within these areas. So there is um, a lack of consistency with childcare support and after-school support, we felt. Lack of opportunities for those who may not get third level education. So again, disadvantaged because of that. We have a youth disadvantage as well where parents are commuting and they don't tend to get involved in their local community. They're up early, child probably got to a crash or a school or a college, probably in the urban area on their way. And then there's no interaction because they're home late, they're tired at the weekends, so they're not getting involved. So the whole family is disconnected. Um, access to uh, leisure and cinema for younger people can also be an issue in, in rural areas. We then looked at the traveling community and uh, there isn't probably the same sense of supports available rurally as there would be in urban areas, access to services. And also, in a smaller community, their differences can be magnified. So that creates more isolation again, and more of a sense of being different. Um, and also, that leads to, I suppose, the issue of uh, a lack of understanding of the cultural differences within that community, then, when we're dealing with uh, traveller communities. Number three, we looked at refugees. And we felt that often they can be parachuted into uh, a rural area without any cons consultation. The consultation can happen after they've arrived. So unfortunately it doesn't work 
and uh, can create problems. There needs to be supports provided for integration to ensure, first of all, that there's consultation prior to their arrival, and secondly, to aid and support integration and understanding the, between the two groups. Um, fourth, disadvantaged families. Access to supports uh, is important. It's not the same for rural dwellers as it would be in urban areas, we felt. Uh, there's also um, a sense that um, there's a sense of stigma in rural areas that probably isn't there in the urban areas for uh, disadvantaged families. Um, and also uh, access to resources, of course, is an issue. Number four uh, are elderly. So again, they have growing needs. Uh, it's not always possible for the state to meet them. It's even harder probably in a rural community. There's certainly a sense of isolation when somebody perhaps has dementia, uh, isn't participating in their local community, not going out anymore, not getting involved. Um, and therefore, because of that, their own sense of worth diminishes and uh, their sense of value to their society. So all of the problems that go with that. And finally, uh, our, probably our largest groups are families. So again, linking back to that issue of being in uh, the commuter belt and having to commute for work, that uh, you know, there's, there's definitely a problem around their integration in their local communities. Access to services around men mental health really stretches across all of these six groups. And that again, that is something that's probably uh, more lacking in rural areas. Okay, thank you, Patricia. That's excellent. Um, if we could move now then to table five. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Sadie Ward-McDermott, and I'm the uh, chair of this particular group. And I suppose this question probably posed us a, a most difficulty um, in that, I suppose, the question itself, when we looked at it, um, we, we felt the, the, the question was, was presupposing that there was a lack of cohesion. So the statement was there that it exists. So, it, so I suppose that, that was a statement in itself. And I suppose we were, we were then asked to look at, you know, those most affected. And I suppose for our particular group, uh, and, and there were examples given in the question, and, and for our group, we felt that every single sector of a, a community would be affected by what is a lack of cohesion. So our group accepted that whilst there were significant policies in place from various government agencies, and as a result of those policies, significant funding mechanisms um, and SICAP uh, leader programs, LCDC programs, um, EGBs, IOTs, all of these are working and funding different projects and so on, but, but, and, and, and doing it quite successfully. Um, I suppose what, what we felt was that all of that being said, that's still on the ground um, there is an issue about information out to different respective groups and that may be some type of collaborative action in regard to that and how we get a message across to those different groups. So be they the migrant group, um, the family that has just come newly into the area, maybe, you know, having, having come in on, you know, from Syria or whatever in a short space of time and how do we get information to those particular groups as opposed to the young, to the elderly and so on. And I suppose then we, we also explored, you know, the issues around that, you know, as, as we'll all be aware, that, that until something catastrophic, and that could be either, you know, major or minor, 
uh, dependent on the individual circumstance. Until that actually happens for an individual or for a family um, or a household, people may choose not to seek or not to engage within um, a, a community. Uh, and, and there's a reality in that, no matter how much funding or, or how many policy policies we have. So there is that factor. But I suppose it's back again to the level of information that is out there, how freely available, readily available, and constantly available it is. And, and we felt that if there was a constancy about that information and, and its simplicity, and it brought us back to the fact that learned and all as we are, this assembled group, that we all had to be given a definition of what is social cohesion. And I suppose it brought us back to the terminology that we're using and, and how we translate that into the community. And I think, you know, the whole emphasis on plain English and speaking of plain English and using of plain English is something we need to take on board. And as we are all involved in various, as delivery agents, a lot of us, um, you know, we tend to get lost in the jargon of the programs um, that we're actually trying to deliver. And I suppose on the ground for the local communities that we're trying to service and the subsectors within that, um, that probably doesn't always hit home. Um, we felt that in regard to um, the particular groups um, that we highlighted, I suppose we looked at, as, as I said earlier, all groups are affected in different ways. We highlighted migrants for whom there are particular issues and that impacts in particular local communities. And there's, a, there's, there's an issue that needs to be looked at about you know, policy of location of particular migrant communities, how that's happening, and the engagement within communities. And that's, that's, that's a, a big ticket item. We looked at people that are new into communities. Um, so it could be you know, the blow-in that was referred to in response to question one, and the blow-in's experience of you know, engagement within community activity as averse to the person who has lived long within that community and has grown up as being the mother was in the ICA, the father's in the GAA, and you know, you're automatically you know, in the fold whether you like it or not. And the blow-in probably found that maybe a little bit more difficult to, to engage in. So I suppose that's something to take cognizance of. Um, uh, we looked at the whole issue of you know, disadvantage and disadvantage in isolation and I suppose we, we try to bring ourselves back to that they were linked items. The isolation and the disadvantage are linked items, but we're talking about cohesion, which is an overall, um, I suppose, heading. We looked at the, the, the impact on travelers within various communities, either individually or as collective groups, depending on the community we're, we're referencing. The impact of a lack of, of, of social cohesion on persons with disability, um, in particular, um, our older group, obviously, as many looked at, we looked at, at that particular group and discussed those in detail. Um, we felt that, you know, different, uh, be they not government policy, um, uh, but the impact of what's happening within our local communities about a dilution of services and activities, um, that that's having a significant impact on our ability to have a cohesive community. Um, despite the various different programmes that, that we are all charged with delivering. That's it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Sadie. And if we could then move just to table six, please. Thank you very much. My name is David Corbyn. I'm the a local regional manager with Chagas, the Farm Advisory Agency. Um, I'd have to first of all congratulate 
the team here that I was working with were all very, very good. A lot of very good comments here today. Um, I'd have to agree with the previous speaker. She was talking a little bit about the, um, the, 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 the jargon aspect of social cohesion. I suppose the fact that I'm dealing with, with Chagas, with farmers and farming, we, in a way, know where we are. We're an integral part of the rural thing, dealing with the soil, the income is generated on the farm, and it's, it's all about being on the farm. And we know, as a group of farmers, I'm calling myself a farmer now, um, where we are, how we're based, and, 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 and all this type of thing. But well, we don't tend to talk about social cohesion and that, that type of thing, so it's very important the jargon is, is, is kept simple and people know where they're coming from. In relation to the question, um, all the people we mentioned, people without transport and resources to pay for transport, this, um, this whole notion of, by definition, you're out in the countryside, you don't have, you're not close to services or anything, so you're just the difficulty of getting from A to B. So transport and having access to transport is a huge thing. Uh, commuters was mentioned and the whole thing of being away during the day and not being about to, to be part of the community. Digitally disadvantaged was an issue that we raised. And the two aspects of, or two methods of being disadvantaged is number one, not having the skills, and number two, not having the infrastructure, i.e. the broadband or whatever it is that we're going to need to, 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 to avail of the digital community and the digital media. Language barriers was another thing that was mentioned. We talked, it was mentioned earlier about refugees and people coming into the country. But if you're in a community and you don't have the local language of English that you're coming in from abroad and you don't, I don't know, maybe the youngsters in schools tend to pick up the language quite quickly, but it's the parents who are at home who tend to be a little bit lacking in the language. And it's a huge issue for them, obviously, if we can't, we're all here communicating today, if we don't have the language, that's a huge block. Another one, people with disabilities, and um, obviously not just old folk, but, but, but abilities in getting around if you're in a wheelchair, what have you, lack of access, that's a huge thing again. Lack of collaboration between groups and networks was mentioned. Um, minority groups, the travellers were already mentioned, but LGBT and the likes of that again, it was mentioned in question one as an answer. Um, youth groups, we talked to, or somebody else mentioned about childcare, but uh, youth groups, teenagers, I suppose, relying too much on social media and not getting out and about and meeting their peers and being involved in the likes of the GA or the rugby or whatever it might be. Diminishing roles of the church and parish was a big one with us. Um, uh, Traditionally, the church and parish was a, a focal point of the community. Nowadays, a lot of people have turned their back on that, and that was a primary source of contact socially, of information, of, of, of a lot of activity that's going on, and not having that is leaving another blank in people's lives, not to mind the actual religious aspect of it. Um, people living alone, yeah, people living alone and vulnerable. Now, we distinguish between that, we already mentioned older people, but this is, there's not just old people living alone, you have a lot of bachelors or, 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 or ladies or widows, widowers, widows and widowers and the likes of that. People who would have had a support group and suddenly don't have and it's just that, that bit more difficult in rural areas to link in with all that. Um, lack of community support, the type of neighbourhood watch, GA, all these type of things. They were our main points and, and we already was already a point about health issues for, for people as well. So that's basically our points. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm just conscious of time so I could take one other point if someone felt there was a particular point wasn't mentioned already. Um, we mentioned carers um, and the isolation that carers in rural areas would experience. Um, they experience isolation perhaps everywhere, not just in, our, in rural areas, but certainly um, in rural contexts that could be quite extreme. And there may be little by way of services there for carers in that context, and they might be quite invisible. Um, I'm not too sure, sorry if it was already mentioned, but another one that um, I think was important was uh, we talked about unemployed people um, in rural areas. Again, an issue wherever you live. 
um, obviously a significant issue, but it might be, again, and is, I think, invisible in rural areas, and the loss of skills and confidence that that can bring um, to unemployed people. Okay, that's okay. So, thank you for that. Um, we're going to move straight to question three, just to try and keep to time. And I'm going to start with table seven on that one. The third question for attendees was, what actions need to be taken in order to enhance cohesion and strengthen social support structures for all rural dwellers? As we were talking about the need to think um, somewhat holistically about um, service needs um, and provision in rural areas. And uh, we were talking about adopting uh, a holistic approach or a whole of community approach in the provision of services and initiatives um, that would encompass the needs of a range of groups rather than single groups or particular groups. Um, in that context, we were thinking of the development of um, types of multifunctional services and amenities that could um, serve needs like social needs, social enterprise needs, um, and there are some examples of these kinds of initiatives in the third progress report um, on the policy document. Um, and we thought perhaps that there could be more of that kind of initiative um, countrywide. Um, for example, one of the things we talked about was libraries, uh, libraries in small towns and how they tend to um, serve a number of functions, um, other types of, of buildings, um, and places could do the same thing. Um, and the sustainability of those kinds of initiatives was mentioned as well, and um, that, that means that they are more sustainable perhaps than businesses might be, for-profit business might be. Um, we talked about the need for greater engagement with people who are experiencing um, lack of social cohesion or issues, rural issues, um, so greater needs assessments, finding out what the issues are, so that is happening to some extent, needs to happen to a greater extent perhaps, um, because we don't know a lot about some of these groups, some of these communities. We talked about housing and the importance of provision of suitable housing in towns and or possibly villages for older people and people with disabilities, for instance, um, and that in order to encourage people to um, take up opportunities to to move to suitable housing. This type of housing um, might need to come with things like services, security, and I suppose the kind of things that people would be looking for in order to encourage them to move into centres. Strengthening rural transport services was considered particularly important. We talked about some of the rural transport services in places that people in the group live. Um, and the need to make the most or optimize, uh, make the most of and optimize the use of rural transport services. For example, in relation to young people, young people don't tend to use rural transport services perhaps a lot, and yet they have the need to get places, maybe if it was more multi-purpose. Okay. Uh, we talked about sharing good practice in social entrepreneurship. Um, so that's really relating to the previous point about, you know, if something works, um, share the practice, share the knowledge of it so that it can be replicated in other places. Then just relating to what the last group said, we think, we think that investment in youth services in towns and villages 
is very important because there's little there for young people. Young people tend to say, we want to leave. If there was more there for them, even as they go through school, um, those attitudes might change. And it can't just be things like sport or GAA or rugby. Um, young people have a range of needs and are a very diverse group. And um, so it has to be a range of things. And I think the final point, unless there's anybody, anything else that others want to mention, um, is about promoting the role of volunteers and volunteering, uh, recognizing that role. And I know there are initiatives at national level underway to do that, um, and the importance of, of continually recognizing that work and also the difficulties you know, in volunteering and of volunteering because of regulations and so on. OK, thank you very much. And we'll just move then to table eight, please. Hi, uh, I'm Ashley Murray. I'm from the ESRI, and I'm mainly focused on growing up in Ireland, which is research with uh, children and youth. Uh, I'm also on the Irish Academy of Social Sciences Committee, and who's the main thought behind this is uh, my colleague on that committee. So thanks to Felicity for um, giving us all the opportunity to discuss uh, important issues. Um, our table um, was very much focused on practical suggestions for uh, tackling the issues. So we looked at the risks and the at-risk groups that we had considered in questions one and two and thought about ways that they might be kind of reasonably tackled based on the wide experience of the people at the table here. Um, and a key thing was the importance of projects that bring people together and facilitate opportunities for people living in rural communities to interact with one another and especially for um, multi-generations to interact, so for younger people, um, midlife people and older people to get together. Um, one example for, uh, was suggested was tidy towns, another was along the lines of uh, the choirs for all ages that kind of brought people together with a, a common goal and a shared interest. Um, we, we thought an issue, uh, perhaps a barrier for some of these projects is the lack of actual suitable spaces and buildings, facilities. Um, and for very dispersed populations, actually finding a space that was, you know, kind of close enough for everybody to reasonably get to. Um, we talked about the possibility of maybe um, existing facilities like schools and the role of schools in providing both facilities for projects and meetings, um, and also as a kind of the school as a hub for community organisation more generally. Um, one of the other things we talked about was coffee shops and, you know, in general, an alternative to the pub as a meeting place for people to get together, sort of casual things, so there's not necessarily a definite time commitment or, uh, or a sort of a work commitment if you're taking part in a committee or a local group, but that sort of more spaces for you to interact. And we heard about uh, the experience of one of our table members um, very successful in terms of coffee shops that are dementia-friendly, that allows kind of people to interact um, and some space for family members as well as the um, individuals affected. We identified the erosion of trust and kind of worries about safety and security as a barrier to participation and cohesion in rural communities um, that perhaps, for example, people are kind of less trusting of their neighbours, that not, neighbours know each other less well and they're not so familiar with their, uh, their neighbours' habits as they might have uh, been, and that also people are afraid go out at night or that they might be afraid that they'll leave, that they're okay to leave during the day but they're concerned about returning late from events or um, activities in the evening and that, that might be related to say local guard presence but um, I know that's a sort of a bigger issue but things like neighborhood watch schemes that people feel that there's sort of some sort of uh, um, community sense of and, and just uh, as much about the perception of feeling safe and secure um, about going out as well as the actual practicalities. 
We also identified um, a role for uh, the health services and preventative health strategies, you know, practical courses to help people um, maintain their good health, excuse me, for longer because we talked about people, older people and people uh, with health issues as being among those cohorts who are perhaps um, less able to be actively involved in social groups. So that was another very practical suggestion. Um, the importance of broadband and access, and that's important, just um, not just uh, in terms of local communities or uh, of and people of all ages using, say, apps or Facebook pages, online community notice boards, and effective keep up to date with what's happening. But also, it relates to um, quality employment opportunities being available, so people don't have to commute for work, and for um, students who might be able to do um, more of their coursework at home, or that colleges. Um, could provide more courses that were community or home-based and to cut down on the amount of travel time. And the final point I'll just uh, mention here is that we identified the importance of research with local communities in terms uh, of preparation for starting new initiatives. Not every community has the same need or the same gap um, and that's so kind of um, uh, talking to, to groups, identifying their needs, identifying what they would like is important rather than just kind of foisting initiatives that might have worked very well somewhere else uh, onto a community. Um, and also that it also encourages ownership and engagement with the initiative and might be more likely to facilitate participation. Okay, thank you very much. And we just move directly to the final table, table nine, and Bernie. Thank you. And I won't take long because an awful lot of what's been said covers what we talked about also, but just to add a little, uh, the idea that we should have a funded community framework um, along the community employment scheme um, or other schemes that exist without going into too many. Um, and the other thing that's, you know, within further ed and higher ed, you know, the notion that we need funding outside of our current funding strategy that does outreach and takes some of the initiatives out into the community. Um, and obviously Pathways is a perfect example of that, Colette. Um, and then we've just talked a little bit about rural broadband and the difficulties um, that are currently um, there and that's still going on there. And the fact that that leads to the isolation and that broadband, you know, is a hot topic at the minute. We just, we all felt that it needed to be pushed, it needed to be secured, um, and you have to be able to connect wherever you are in Ireland, even if you're into wherever it is. Thanks a million. Okay, thank you. That was very succinct. Now, if there's one other point perhaps you feel hasn't been covered, if you want to very quickly mention it. Yes? Yeah, just one comment we made there near the end was, um, and I know it's a very difficult thing, and it was weird that nobody mentioned it, it was just like in terms of measuring social cohesion and how do we know what progress we're making or not because I think if a community or a village could say it's been make, making progress it could be very motivating to keep going mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but easier said than done. Okay, thank you, very valid point and I was delighted to hear the, the penultimate table a researcher saying that we need more research, you always have to say that, that's fantastic and also mechanisms to measure so that great points um, so if I may, I, I don't want to keep people back from lunch. I want to take a very just short few minutes just to, to try and wrap up what we've been saying. Um, our note takers, rapporteurs have been very busy here on the flip chart. So everything is captured. I, I'll not repeat it all, but suffice it to say that it's a complex issue. It involves everyone. Therefore, everyone needs to be involved in the solution. And that's why we have such a wide range of stakeholders here today. So we, very much appreciate your input. Um, but in terms of question one, we'd ask you to look at the positive and negative factors influencing. Words that came up quite a lot, volunteers, sense of community, uh, improvement in motorways, um, investment in schools, all of these very positive things. Um, there was a mention of active 
church groups, for example, certain community groups, and in some instances they could be very positive, and in other cases perhaps not so much so if people felt they couldn't join them. Um, in terms of negative impacts, people were mentioning the, the, the farming community, um, there was off-farm uh, employment opportunities that need to be looked at, the fact that everybody's busy, the peace process was mentioned um, as a factor that is still ongoing, and I'm not sure if anybody mentioned Brexit this time, but just in case, yeah, we need to keep an eye on that. Um, migration, so people coming into the area, perhaps from another country, perhaps just urban dwellers, and how they integrate and the extent of that. The ageing population, and one point I thought was absolutely fascinating that I wouldn't have thought of, the notion of death as perhaps being a positive, and yes, the Irish wake, bringing communities together, that's fantastic, and we mustn't lose sight of that. But again, as you say, we're, we're not looking for more wakes in the country. Um, there was a lot of talk about mental health and the need to ensure that we keep an eye on that. But keeping people connected, um, families, somebody mentioned blow-ins. So just those were some of the things captured in question one. As I say, we will have captured everything here today. So all the notes will be collected and will go into the report. In terms of question two, um, I thought my colleague Patricia here gave a fantastic summary of the, the, the groups involved. We'd ask you to look at the cohorts and their table identified six groups. There was the youth, of course, traveling community, refugees, disadvantaged families, and then families came up again as, let's say, not disadvantaged families, but the issue of family and how they work together, how they can be disconnected by simply a busy lifestyle, people commuting to work, all of these things. So the family is extremely important in this conversation. Um, the elderly, the disabled, very, very important groups and all affected. And again, access to health services came up again and the issue of, of mental health and being, being assured that, that those services are available to everyone. Very interesting comment about the jargon used. Uh, again, we tend to forget that. We get hooked on a definition and we use it and sometimes we don't question it. So again, I think we need to be looking at that in these sorts of discussions. And, and then finally, the actions. Um, a lot of things that can be done, and I'm pretty sure you have other ideas that perhaps we didn't get a chance to capture. But the overarching feeling was that there needed to be a holistic approach to whatever is done. Everyone needs to be involved. Um, there was a, a discussion about libraries. I absolutely love libraries. I think they are totally underutilised. We should be having coffee shops and cocktail bars and everything in libraries, especially given the post offices are disappearing. That's where people would meet, people picking up their pension or benefit or, or posting a letter. That's all gone. Um, so libraries, a, a great opportunity to, to utilise those more. Improving transport, access to transport in rural areas. Again, volunteers kept coming up as a resource to be, to be utilised more. Fantastic opportunity. This notion of, of sort of intergenerational connectivity came up and there needs to be interaction between um, the, the generation. And people mentioned the, the role of schools. And of course, finally, we, we talked again about broadband, but 
measuring social cohesion. How do we know when there is social cohesion and how do we know when there is not? Now, there's some academic literature on it, I'll not bore you with it, but it, it's still not perfect. People use different measures. So if we're going to talk about it, how do we know when it exists? And that's something to look at. So I'm just going to wrap up now. Um, I want to thank all of you for your time. You all gave up your time. You came here. We, we've, you know, really mined your, your brains and, and picked your brains and got all that information. And as I say, everything will be going in, to feeding into the report. So we make sure we don't miss anything. It's been a pleasure to host this. You've all been very, very good keeping to time. Uh, I want to thank the Royal Irish Academy for choosing DKIT as this venue for the second rural conversation, uh, calling uh, and Felicity who actually suggested DKIT. So thank you very much for that. I want to thank all our support staff who were here with us last night setting up. Rather, I was watching and setting up, not being very helpful. But fantastic. I mean, it takes a lot to get these events up and going. Our technicians, our caretakers, our canteen staff. Special thanks to Lorraine and Fra over in the corner from our business school. We could not have done this without you. And um, also want to thank our head of school, Dr. Patricia Moriarty, for the support you've given to this event. And she got roped into being chair as well. So we got plenty of value there. Thanks so much. Thanks to all our speakers um, and all of the chair people, but really every single individual, because without your input, we couldn't have done this. So I'm not going to keep you from lunch. I just want a final line to say. We can all complain about being too busy and workloads and all of that. And I do my fair share, I can tell you. But I'm in the very fortunate position of the role that I'm in. I get to do nice things with nice people. And this is a very nice thing. And you've been very nice people. So thank you very much. Please join us for lunch. <laughs>